0: Section forty eight of the World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume fifteen, The World War, edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section forty eight The Arrival of Kitchener's Mob, nineteen fifteen, by James Norman Hall. Coming into the trenches for the first time, when the deadlock along the Western Front had become seemingly unbreakable, we reaped the benefit of the gallant little remnant of the First British Expeditionary Force. After the retreat from Mons, they had dug themselves in and were holding tenaciously on, awaiting the long heralded arrival of Kitchener's mob. As the units of the new armies arrived in France, They were sent into the trenches for twenty-four hours' instruction in trench warfare with a battalion of regulars. This one-day course in trench fighting is preliminary to fitting new troops into their own particular sectors along the front. It was quite dark when we entered the desolate belt of country known as the Fire Zone. Pipes and cigarettes were put out, and talking ceased. We extended to groups of platoons in fours, at one hundred paces interval, each platoon keeping in touch with the one in front by means of connecting files. We passed rows of ruined cottages, where only the scent of the roses in neglected little front gardens reminded one of the home-loving people who had lived there in happier days. Dim lights streamed through chinks and crannies in the walls. Now and then blanket coverings would be lifted from apertures, that had been windows or doors and we would see bright fires blazing in the middle of brick kitchen floors and groups of men sitting about them luxuriously sipping tea from steaming canteens they were laughing and talking and singing songs in loud boisterous voices which contrasted strangely with our timid noiselessness i was marching with one of the trench guides who had been sent back to pilot us to our position I asked him if the tommies in the houses were not in danger of being heard by the enemy. He laughed uproariously at this, whereupon one of our officers, a little second lieutenant, turned and hissed in melodramatic undertones, Silence in the ranks there! Where do you think you are? Officers and men, we were new to the game then, and we held rather exaggerated notions as to the amount of care to be observed in moving up to the trenches as we came within range of rifle fire we again changed our formation and marched in single file along the edge of the road the sharp crack crack of small arms now sounded with vicious and ominous distinctness we heard the melancholy song of the ricochets and spent bullets as they whirled in a wide arc high over our heads and occasionally the less pleasing fit of those speeding straight from the muzzle of a german rifle we breathed more freely when we entered the communication trench in the centre of a little thicket a mile or more back of the first-line trenches we wound in and out of what appeared in the darkness to be a hopeless labyrinth of earthworks cross-streets and alleys led off in every direction All along the way we had glimpses of dugouts lighted by candles, the doorways carefully concealed with blankets or pieces of old sacking. Groups of tommies in comfortable nooks and corners were boiling tea or frying bacon over little stoves made of old iron buckets or biscuit tins. I marveled at the skill of our trench guide, who went confidently on in the darkness, with scarcely a pause at length after a winding zigzag journey we arrived at our trench where we met the gloucesters there isn't not one of us who hasn't not a warm spot in his heart for the gloucesters they welcomed us so heartily and initiated us into the mysteries of trench etiquette and trench traditions we were at best but amateur tommies in them i recognized the lineal descendants of the line atkins men whose grandfathers had fought in the crimea and whose fathers in indian mutinies they were the fighting sons of fighting sires and they taught us more of life in the trenches in twenty-four hours than we had learned during nine months of training in england we learned how orders are passed down the line from sentry to century quietly and with the speed of a man running we learned how the sentries are posted and their duties We saw the intricate mazes of telephone wires and the men of the signaling corps at their posts in the trenches, in communication with brigade, divisional, and army corps' headquarters. We learned how to sleep five men in a four-by-six dugout, and, when there are no dugouts, how to hunch up on the firing benches with our waterproof sheets over our heads, and doze, with our knees for a pillow. We learned the order of precedence for troops, in the communication trenches never forget that outgoin troops as the right oh way they ain't had no rest and they're all slathered in mud likely and beat for sleep incoming troops is fresh and they stands to one side to let the others pass we saw the listening patrols go out at night through the underground passage which leads to the far side of the barbed wire entanglements from there they creep far out between the opposing lines of trenches to keep watch upon the movements of the enemy and to report the presence of his working parties or patrols this is dangerous nerve-trying work for the men sent out upon it are exposed not only to the shots of the enemy but to the wild shots of their own comrades as well i saw one patrol come in just before dawn one of the men brought with him a piece of barbed wire clipped from the german entanglements two hundred and fifty yards away i was tremendously interested at that time it seemed incredible to me that men crawled over to the german lines in this manner and clipped pieces of german wire for souvenirs several men were killed and wounded during the night one of them was a sentry with whom i had been talking only a few minutes before He was standing on the firing bench, looking into the darkness, when he fell back into the trench without a cry. It was a terrible wound. I would not have believed that a bullet could so horribly disfigure one. He was given first aid by the light of a candle, but it was useless. Silently his comrades removed his identification disk and wrapped him in a blanket. Poor old Walt, they said. An hour later he was buried in a shell hole at the back of the trench one thing we learned during our first night in the trenches was of the very first importance and that was respect for our enemies we came from england full of absurd newspaper tales about the german soldiers inferiority as a fighting man we had read that he was a wretched marksman he would not stand up to the bayonet whenever opportunity offered he crept over and gave himself up he was poorly fed and clothed, and was so weary of the war that his officers had to drive him to fight, at the muzzles of their revolvers. We thought him almost beneath contempt. We were convinced in a night that we had greatly underestimated his abilities as a marksman. As for his all-around inferiority as a fighting man, one of the gestures put it rather well. Here, if the Germans is so bloomin' rotten!' How is it we ain't a fightin em summers along the rhine or in austria hungary no they ain't a firin wild i give you my word not around this part o france they ain't how am i to give a really vivid picture of trench life as i saw it for the first time how make it live for others when i remembered that the many descriptive accounts i had read of it in england did not in the least visualize it for me I watched the rockets rising from the German lines, watched them burst into points of light over the devastated strip of country called No Man's Land, and drift down, and I watched the charitable shadows rush back like the very wind of darkness. The desolate landscape emerged from the gloom and receded again, like a series of pictures thrown upon a screen. All of this was so new, so terrible, I doubted its reality indeed i doubted my own identity as one does at times when brought face to face with some experiences which cannot be compared with past experiences or even measured with them i groped darkly for some new truth which was flickering just beyond the border of consciousness but i was so blinded by the adventure that it did not come to me then later i understood it was my first glimmering realization of the tremendous sadness the awful futility of war the fire trench was built in much the same way as those we had made during our training in england in pattern it was something like a tessellated border for the space of five yards it ran straight then it turned at right angles around a traverse of solid earth six feet square then straight again for another five yards then around another traverse and so throughout the length of the line Each five-yard segment, which is called a bay, offered firing-room for five men. The traverses, of course, were for the purpose of preventing enfilade fire. They also limited the execution, which might be done by one shell. Even so, they were not an unmixed blessing, for they were always in the way when you wanted to get anywhere in a hurry. "'And you are in a hurry when you see a mini—miniwerfer coming your way!' but you gets trench legs after a wheel. It'll be a funny sight to see the blokes walking along the street in London winning when the war is over. They'll be so used to dodging in and out of traverses they won't be able to go in a straight line. As we walked through the firing line trenches, I could quite understand the possibility of one's acquiring trench legs. Five paces forward, two to the right, two to the left, two to the left again, then five to the right, and so on to Switzerland. My own experience was confined to that part of the British front which lies between mezzanines in Belgium and Lou in France. There certainly one could walk for miles through an intricate maze of continuous underground passages. But the firing-line trench was neither a traffic route nor a promenade. The great bulk of inter-trench business passed through the travelling trench, about fifteen yards in the rear of the fire trench, and running parallel to it. The two were connected by many passageways, the chief difference being that the fire trench was the business district, while the traveling trench was primarily residential. Along the latter were built most of the dugouts, lavatories, and trench kitchens. The sleeping quarters for the men were not very elaborate. Recesses were made in the wall of the trench, about two feet above the floor. They were not more than three feet high, so that one had to crawl in head first when going to bed they were partitioned in the middle and were supposed to offer accommodation for four men two on each side end of section forty eight this recording is in the public domain